Blog Talk Radio. Well, today marks Wrongful Conviction Day. Organizations all around the world are raising awareness about the causes uh, and consequences of wrongful incarceration. As reporter Cherry Gregg from our sister station KYW News Radio reports tonight, Philadelphia exonerees spent the day lobbying lawmakers for change. For 43 days, Tony Wright has lived as a free man. Sometimes you know, I'm still waking up in the middle of the night, you know, lifting my head off the pillow just to make sure I'm, I'm not dreaming anymore. For 25 of his 45 years, Wright lived behind bars, wrongfully convicted of rape and murder. New DNA evidence convinced a jury to find him not guilty in August. Days later, he cut the first birthday cake ever to bear his name. It was a long and a tough road before it all. I've been so blessed. Wright's attorneys recently filed this civil rights lawsuit against the city of Philadelphia and the 11 police officers involved in his investigation. They claimed false evidence and a coerced confession led to Wright's wrongful conviction, and they want compensation. I think we have the best system in the world. Um, but it's not a perfect system. Gordon Cooney is one of the lawyers who exonerated John Thompson, a Louisiana man who spent 14 years on death row. They proved prosecutors withheld evidence and won $14 million for their client, but the U.S. Supreme Court overturned the decision, making it difficult to get compensation. Federal law now presents very few opportunities for compensation for somebody who's wrongfully convicted, and it's really then up to the state legislature. Well, I want to advocate for those guys in there that don't have a voice, like I once didn't have a voice. Wright went to Harrisburg today with other exonerees. They want Pennsylvania to become the 38th state that supports those the system fails to protect. Cherry Gregg, KYW News Radio for CBS3 Eyewitness News. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Samson Riddle, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we continue to discuss something very important, the voices from behind the wall and the voices of the innocent. And I'll tell you what, folks, uh, these have been some shows that are gut-wrenching and really are troubling as we begin to talk about all that has happened, uh, continues to happen in this country uh, when it comes to uh, the innocent being wrongfully convicted, of course, and being behind that wall and the abuse and being subject to that abuse, not only the abuse that happens every day, but the abuse within itself of being locked up when you did nothing to be locked up, Samson. And that, that is something I don't think people really understand the gravity of that uh, when it comes down to being locked up, handcuffed, put in a cell, and told you're going to be there for five, ten, seven, three, however many years, and you've done absolutely nothing wrong. How 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 horrible is that? I mean, it's it would be absolutely terrifying to just about anybody. You know, you're you're sitting there, you know, you're innocent, you know, you've done nothing wrong to even deserve this the living hell that you're going to be put in for the next however many years. Not only that, you know, not only the day to day abuse like you mentioned that they're going through. But just the sheer torture that their families are going through on the outside, the collateral damage that is done to these families, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. And, I mean, we've talked about it over the last few shows about the thousands of years that have been served by people that should have never been in prison, 
the thousands of people that are still in prison, wrongfully accused, and and it's just it's tragic, man. It really is. It's a sad state of affairs when you can put an innocent United States citizen behind bars and keep them there without enough evidence and without due process. It's, it's I don't know. I, I'm at a loss for words about this injustice system that we have today. No, absolutely right. And then, uh, Dennis, your thoughts as, as we heard the other night uh, as Antoine began to explain uh, being dropped off in the middle, really, of the road in the in the pouring rain, trying to figure out uh, exactly what he's going to do. How do I get home? How do I get to a pl- you, th- These are things, again, that are, that are hidden from the public. That really, you actually dropped a man in the middle of the road with nowhere to go, no money, no anything, and say, find your way? And that was an innocent man. Exactly That was a man that was wrongfully convicted. So that tells you, I mean, again, uh, I uh, echo a riddle uh, in reference to, if you think about it, I mean, think about the family. Uh, So when, when one person is put in, when you're put in prison and you're wrongfully convicted, I mean, even if you did something, your family is affected. But think about the family when they know you're innocent. They know without a doubt you didn't commit any crime, and yet you're spending decades uh, behind bars. Or, or, I mean, even a year, a day uh, is, is more than uh, that should happen. But, again, uh, I'm so thankful for this show that we can expose, that we can, uh, you know, talk to people and say, yeah, please, y'all, get out. Get out and vote. Get out and look at. Uh, the laws that are, you know, that are against, uh, you know, doing the right thing and, and do what needs to be done. I mean, join together, be a voice. But again, you're right, Lamont. I mean, hey, just to, to take an innocent man after he served 20 plus years, put him on the street and say, oops, we made a mistake. Go deal with it. I, I mean, that's got to be the harshest thing ever. No, absolutely right. And uh, those are issues, again, the voices of the innocent is what we focus on tonight. Uh, and we're going to be focusing on in the very, very, very near future. We intentively right now, next Thursday, uh, we'll be talking about the voices from behind the wall, the voices of the innocent, the IRP five story and their voice. Uh, and that's a big one. Uh, what they have endured, what they have suffered as a result of doing nothing but really being patriots to a nation and to keep a nation safe, you are going to be blown away by what you hear as we continue again, this series voices from behind the wall, the voices of the innocent. And on that particular show next Thursday, focusing on uh, the voices of the RP five, that's going to be something to hear. You want to tune into that folks. Feel free to dial in tonight. Six, four, six, two hundred zero six, two, eight, six, four, six, two hundred zero six, two, uh, eight and, and we'd like to hear your comments as again we're going to get into some discussion tonight uh, in regards to uh, the wrongfully convicted what is involved with it what do the families suffer as a result of the corruption of the system as their voices of it, the voices the families have to deal with their loved ones voices being silenced uh, that's a big deal uh, and not only that to have to lay down every night wondering as they be, try to let their voices be heard, what are the repercussions behind that? The acts of retaliation, the acts of abuse, uh, because you said you're innocent, because you said you didn't do this thing. Uh, their voices have been silenced by a system, uh, again, that has fallen off the rails here. We're going to deal with those topics. Uh, current news going on right now in the country. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, the Judge Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearings. Um, 
some big stuff happening here. Um, hearings all day on Capitol Hill. Um, Samson, as we look at that, and again, uh, it's not a court of law, uh, but there have been some compelling things uh, going on in those hearings today. Um, I don't know if you've had if you've been privy to any of that information of what's been going on today in those hearings. Uh, very emotional, very heart wrenching stuff that we're hearing on both sides. Uh, it's difficult to uh, to find your way through that maze of information. It's it, it, it's a difficult situation. So, yeah, I, I haven't been privy to update myself on that yet today. Uh, I have been following it um, before, just just to hear the the number of people that have uh, come out on both sides. Uh, I guess both sides of the fence on this. Um, the the composure of um, one of the ladies that's involved versus uh, Mr. Kavanaugh's composure uh, during the hearing today, I heard I've, I overheard was uh, polar opposites of one another to say the very least. Um, being like the, she was very cool, very calm, very collected in the way she presented herself, uh, the way she handled the hearing versus uh, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh came across as being a bit flustered, highly emotional, and, and a bit um, a bit irate. So. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I mean, with this many people coming out uh, about that, I mean, there, there's got to be some merit somewhere to what these ladies are talking about. They're not just going to all, you know. Yep. And, and we're talking about Christine Blasey Ford. She was the uh, uh, the young lady who, who wanted her story heard, uh, wanted an, an FBI investigation. Uh, the entire process of the confirmation hearings of um, Judge Kavanaugh is has been – uh, unorthodox, if you will, from normal procedure, in my opinion, when uh, in the, in the, from the beginning of these hearings, information being withheld, uh, you're talking thousands of uh, documents that had not, been, there was no time to go over, no, perhaps had, do, had it, you know, been taking its time, its process, the reading of the, those documents where members of the, of the committee could actually ask the, the tough questions, ask the you know, questions that may be in that some of that information and for that to be ignored and rushed at a very quick rate. Uh, and had they gone forward and not even granted a hearing, well, we got five women now whose stories would have been simply ignored. Uh, that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if it doesn't do anything, it teaches us, uh, Lisa, that uh, in this process, somewhere along the way, uh, you, the, there's a reason why it needs to be – and, again, politics is all over the place in this one. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, hypothetically, they push that vote through, and then after the fact, all of this stuff comes out. Then it, then it looks like the committee did not do its due diligence to, to get the job done. Absolutely. I mean, and they, they, they were fighting, to do, fighting against doing their due diligence because they want to just push things through because they want their agenda in place, mm-hmm. which I think is just – it's a travesty. It shouldn't be – just about getting this man in that we want to get in. That's not the point. The point here is making sure that things are done the right way. I mean, granted, they don't do that with anything else in this country, but on occasion when it, when it, when it can be done, they need to do it. They need to do it. No, absolutely right. Cliff, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that, um, that although this whole process with, um, you know, Judge Kavanaugh and China uh, getting pushed through to the Supreme Court, I mean, it's been a, a fiasco. Uh, going on and with um, Dr. Ford coming this morning. Uh, 
I mean, the her her testimony. I watched her entire testimony, and it was uh, it was heart wrenching. I mean, you you can't say anything else except that this woman, at some point in her life, was uh, was assaulted by a man and was scared to death. And you have to you have to commend her for coming forward and uh, you know giving her testimony. Everything that went on, um, it, it it was it was very very. Uh, difficult to watch. She was very credible, and you know that somewhere along the way, she something very bad happened to her. Um, you know, Judge Kavanaugh was a little bit uh, twisted to say the least with some of the members of Congress. He did come back and apologize for some of his, uh, you know, less than uh, judge-like behavior. But you kind of, at the end of the day, are left at okay. It's he said, she said, and what what are you know both both sides on the committee? What are they going to do? Well, the Republicans, you know, what are they going to do? Those who were on the fence, are they going to make a decision, um, you know, against him or for him? It, it, any anybody can say, but uh, it was it was quite interesting. But to watch the process on how. Um, you know, when people say, yeah, Congress isn't getting anything done and and they're failing the American people, this, this today kind of highlighted that, that do you guys ever work together? That was uh, kind of what I took from it. Is, is, and, and can you get a straight answer uh, from anybody that that is on the panel? It's like if it's not if it's not their political agenda, you're not going to get a yes or no um, just left at the at the place in your mind that, hey, you know, what, what, what is going to be the outcome? And only time can tell. Nobody knows how each person is thinking, but well, we just go from here. I think one point that um, – I forget the senator that made this point today uh, – is that this girl, uh, grown woman now, was 15 years old. Right. Uh, if you think that's not something – they say all the time that these t- – and again – it, it, this is what we talked about the other night. Those that have made a mockery of the Me Too movement with frivolous stuff, it makes it difficult for people who have really suffered trauma to come forward because now you have a lady, you say, well, why did it take so long? Well, I was a 15-year-old girl. Uh, nobody out of embarrassment, many times, out of blaming themselves, many times, at her age, at the age of 15, that's why there are things that come out years later that I never talked about it. Uh, she brought it up in counseling. And for, the, for anybody to suggest this is a conspiracy that yeah. back in 2012 or 2010, one of those years, she, she confided in a therapist and shared that she had suffered, had talked to her husband uh, prior to getting married, that she had experienced sexual uh, assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you... This is what's insane about the theory of a conspiracy. Okay, I, who was in office at that time has nothing to do with who's in office today. That the Democrats have conspired with a victim who confessed this back in 2010, before this current administration was even in the office. But they conspired now and read the tea leaves that what we're going to do is have this lady come for you know the ins- you understand the insanity and to say that, of that you know it's like well how did, how did you know that uh you know 
uh, rest in peace, Judge Scalia. Justice Scalia would pass, and then exactly. uh, Kavanaugh would be nominated, and they has had all this laid out. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. But to your point about you know women taking so long to uh, to come out with these type of things, when you see what happened today, you see that okay, this is. Uh, this is why. This is why women hold hold it in because the response that you get is like, okay, now uh, this is a conspiracy against the president. Uh, she's working on behalf of the of the uh, the Clintons. That this is this what? is the Clintons trying to get revenge. This woman went through a traumatic uh, experience, and and you see why when they say, okay, women don't don't come out and deal with this type of abuse. For 10, 15, 20 years, this type of response from, you know, mostly uh, most of Congress are, you know, like they've been saying on the news, elderly or old white men. It's like, okay, well, if this is the response we're going to get from the people running the country, then how do you how do you question them coming out uh, at this late uh, this late in the game saying, okay, well, I don't want to be treated like, uh, you know, like I'm the one who did something wrong. When I was the one abused, you totally understand why yeah. women hold that back. Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen of America. President Bill Clinton, has been, <laughs> he was president, I believe, in 1992. What is, okay, what, how does somebody draw back, this is a, what are you talking about? This is a Clinton situation. Leave the Clintons, they are living their lives uh, we have Secretary of State Hillary Clinton who served her country eight years. Clinton, eight years. That's over. How many presidents have been since the Clintons? <laughs> and they always feel a need to draw back, well, this, the, the Clintons are somehow involved. Knock it off. I mean, this, that's just ridiculous. The bottom line is we have a current justice system that is, that is off the track. Uh, we have a Me Too movement. That has gone very big. Yeah. Uh, you have abusers of that movement, and then you got true victims of that movement. Mm-hmm. We have to have discussions. We got to talk. And at the end of the day, uh, Judge Kavanaugh made a statement when they began to ask about his drinking and these things. He said, "Well, I need to talk about what kind of student I was." That, you can be an A student and be messed up. You can be a straight A student, an athlete on the football field. So those accolades, though we commend you. <laughs> That doesn't change what you may do at a party uh, when alcohol is involved. And the crazy thing about him making that statement, I mean, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. I play football. The coaches protect you. They make sure that you're great, whether you're doing the work or not. If you need an A, you get to, you go to coach, hey, coach, I need an A in this class. Keep my GPA up high enough that I can play ball. All right, son, you're playing good for me. You get an A in the class. The coaches protect you. You go on the field drunk. The coach is like, hey, sit out a couple of plays. We're going to give you some Gatorade. Uh, you know, go to the bathroom a couple of times, flush this out of your system. Come back and play. For him to make those, to say, well, I was a great student and I played basketball. Do you know how many uh, schools protect their athletes? athletes. That, I thought that was the worst thing he'd do. I'm like, okay. So you're saying that you basically like, yeah, yeah, I drunk some. You were a protected athlete that you could have been studious. You could have got the grades yourself. 
or your coaches, the school could have done it for you. That is not a response to an allegation of sexual, sexual assault. assault. It, they, mm-hmm. those, those two things are totally, totally on two ends of the spectrum. And at the end of the day, folks, if anybody knows about high school, you know about college. Look, I was in high school at one point. I, you know what I mean? You People go out, they drink. They have parties. Uh, things happen. People are doing things. Uh, the, at the end of the day, and this goes out to anybody who, who tries to say, and I'm not saying this necessarily specifically about Judge Kavanaugh in general, to go out and say, well, you know, the guy was drunk. Well, you made a decision to get drunk. And if you know you can't hold your liquor without doing crazy things or acting in a very out-of-control way, well, the responsibility still stops at your front door that I didn't have to pick up that drink, and nor did I have to drink to that magnitude that I'm not – you're still if – I, if I get in a car drunk and kill somebody driving that car, they're not going to say, well, you know, he was drunk. It's not his fault. He was it's alcohol. Well, you made a – guess what? You're going to prison. That's where you're headed next because you made a decision to drink that alcohol. We are responsible for our actions no matter what they take us to. And if alcohol takes you to a place that's not good, uh, the consequences are the same. Uh, We'll see how this plays out. Uh, Again, I wasn't there. Uh, I thought the testimony of of the young lady was compelling. Uh, I thought it was, you know, you know, it was it was very much to the point. She stayed cool headed. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh, in my opinion, uh, seemed to, uh, I don't want to say lose it, uh, lost control of the, of the dynamics at times, and, and, and that could very well be because the emotions of this thing has been very difficult. I'm not calling it one way or the other. I'm simply saying uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, politics all over the place here. We'll see how that plays out. Ladies and gentlemen, we're coming back. Voices from behind the wall, the voices of the innocent. AJC Radio Just Calls continues our discussion of the voices that have been silenced. We actually make those voices not to be silent any longer as we speak for the voices from behind the wall. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experience some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. 
You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. I can solve difficult problems for a Fortune 500 company. I can run a successful business. I can manage your home improvements. I can publicize your message. I can motivate your audience. I can put my military experience to work for your company. I can teach your children. I can boost your bottom line. I can add value to your workplace. I could be a loyal and productive employee. But I can't put my skills to work for your organization if I'm not given the opportunity. If you don't recognize my talent and ability. If you don't hire me. If you don't have an open mind and a workplace that's open to everyone. If you don't realize that America works best when everybody works. What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? You can remember that it works. It's what people can do. It's what people can do that matters. Nearly 50 million Americans have disabilities. Capitalize on their talents with employment practices that benefit everyone. Learn more at whatcanyoudocampaign.org. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Corpsman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, they each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. You're broken down and tired. Living life on the merry-go-round You can't find a fighter Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Agency Radio's 
Tonight, addressing voices from behind the wall. Tonight, the voices of the innocent. And make no mistake about it, that is the greater injustice of all, is that a man, woman, be wrongfully convicted who never committed a crime and is locked up behind bars and their freedom has been taken. We address those issues tonight and become the voice of those who, whose voices really, as a result of a corrupt system, of an unjust system, has been silenced. And tonight we're going to continue that discussion uh, as we get ready to talk about these issues that are facing a nation. Uh, and we are in, hopefully going down a road uh, that can resolve some of these issues uh, and to get people outraged, honestly, about what has been going on. Uh, it is our responsibility as a society uh, to address issues of injustice. Uh, everything that this country is built upon, everything that this country is supposed to represent, uh, goes out the window when we fail uh, to hold those accountable uh, for allowing such conduct to continue. It's just something that cannot happen. Uh, and as we talk about it, we understand very much so whenever you turn on your television and you hear somebody has been exonerated, somebody was wrongfully convicted, um, a, story, a, a study published in Proceedings, and we talked about this on the other show in regards to uh, not only the, the innocent in, in, in prisons, but those that even remain on death row who are innocent, that we talked about uh, the, the mental torture Antoine went to, which we, we we're in hopes that he'll be joining us again tonight, uh, that talks about the mental day-to-day torture uh, of these things. It says a study published in Proceedings of the National Academy of Science found that conservatively about 4% of people on death row were likely wrongfully convicted. There currently are about 2,900 people on death row around the country of whom under that formula about 120 are likely to have been wrongfully convicted. Uh, and in California, about 30 of the 749 current death row inmates using that formula were likely wrong, wrongfully convicted. How can we sit back or sleep at night knowing that those percentages of innocent people are on death row to die? Not to argue and, and I was told this, that one man, gentleman that was on death row uh, dying said, all I asked you to do was to check the DNA. Check the DNA. He's pleading with them before they kill him. Check the DNA. That's all I've been asking you to do. And how a court or a judge comes back and makes the statement denied is, is absolutely uh, unbelievable to me. Uh, but it happens every day in this country. And this is this is one of the things. That's, if their voices go silent from the grave, what are we going to do? Now, they must be heard. Now, you're absolutely right. I mean, what, whatever happened to beyond a reasonable doubt? I mean, these guys are being put away on hearsay, circumstantial evidence. I mean, you, we've read story after story here in the last just a few weeks about one person gets in prison and another guy is out there confessing to the crime either telling people no this guy's innocent i'm the one who did it which that that in itself is like amazing to me that someone would actually come up commit a crime and then go confess to it but then after that you know 
they still like no. They keep this guy behind bars. Like they said, uh, the story I read last week was like 17 years. A man sat behind bars, innocent, and the man that was guilty was pleading with law enforcement, telling them that he did it, and they just this brushed him aside. Like no, we got the right guy. And we discussed it here on this uh, show many times. Like you know, people sit behind bars, but the real killer, the real perpetrator, you know the the monster that committed these crimes is still out there doing it. So we have no justice for the victim. We have no justice for the families. And all these people are going through just torture and hell day in, day out. And, and nothing's being done about it. Absolutely nothing is being done about it. And they said that that 4% you were talking about, that's a conservative estimate. That's right. on the low end. Right. So can you imagine if it even got close to double digits, how many people we're talking about that are sitting in, on death row right now pleading for their lives knowing that they're innocent? And that, that's cruel. To, that's torture. That's torture. It's not like, you, you know, they're going to let you out in a week. It's not going to happen. No, you're scheduled to die. And, again, as I said before, the death penalty is an issue in a perfect world, a perfect system where nothing has gotten wrong. And I still wouldn't agree with it. But you definitely don't have a leg to stand on when you have a flawed system of wrongful convictions being and cases being overturned every day because somebody didn't do their job. Some detective didn't provide evidence. Some prosecutor decided to abuse his discretion. Some judge decided to just let something go. That is the problem. You cannot have an absolute punishment. With a flawed system. Nothing is absolute here. Because the system is too flawed. Human beings are too flawed. To do the right thing. So if you didn't have corruption. Within a system. You could be absolute. This system doesn't call for that. And then when you were talking earlier. About DNA. uh, It's sad. I mean that should be automatic. Automatic period. If there is someone. Uh, being accused of a crime and there is DNA that can be used to either exonerate or to incriminate it should be used and it shouldn't be at the and, discretion and of a it judge. should not be at the discretion of a judge it should be automatic and that's just sad that it's not and and you're right Dennis on, on that note uh, DNA is absolute that's clear that's clear evidence whether you were there and then here's what you got to run into if there was DNA at this at a crime scene, was it planted? That's true too. Did somebody take it off? I mean, oh yeah, it's crazy. The li- right. the links that people will go to to lock somebody up in this country. There's nothing off the table of what people will do to get a person. It's not about justice. It's not about punishing those who did. We left that a long time ago. This is politics. It's big money. It's big business. How many convictions can I get? How many bonuses can I get for the convictions? How many promotions can I get for the number of cases that I send uh, to conviction? That's not justice. That's not about in the interest. You hear that sometimes. In the interest of justice. You're right. I don't think we have that anymore. In the interest of justice? If the interest of justice was about hearing the voice of the voiceless, our prisons would not be overcrowded today. Our incarceration percentages and rates would not be there today. 
The reason we know those rules don't apply, the numbers don't add that up. They don't bring you to that conclusion. When you have an overmass incarceration problem, it has nothing to do with justice. It's about warehousing human bodies and making as much profit as I can while abuse goes on behind those walls every single day. People are dying in solitary confinement. People are dying on yards, being stabbed to death, wrong innocent people who should never be there. And we constantly want to go into, we have the greatest system. What world are you living in? Because it's not the real one. What world are you living in? We're going to play a clip about collateral damage of wrongful conviction. Let's hear it. I remember sitting through the trial saying, there's absolutely no way that he's going to be be found convicted. Joel Broderick and Leah Ray Smith Banker were just 20 and 21 years old when their father was sentenced to 12 to 16 years in prison. When this all started, I had just graduated from high school. I was a uh, captain of the football team and you know, wrestler, and ran track and you know, sports star. You know, I had my dad around for everything and I, you know, it was just about the right, the time when I was uh getting ready to have to learn how to be a man and learn how to learn how to do things, you know, like, uh, you know, learn how to read a tape measure, learn how to do stuff that your father teaches you. And just at that time, you know, he ended, he got locked up. The two were young and their father was now missing out on some of life's biggest moments. The, all the things that, you know, you call your dad for that you can't call your dad for. I got married a year from my first date. With my husband, and he was there. My brother walked down the aisle. Their father was now a ghost in the memories that were being made. I mean, my life happened so fast, and so many changes came that that I just didn't have his input for. There, you know, there's we have all these pictures, and then he's just not in them. For Joel, life's path was a bumpy one. After his father's conviction, he got addicted to drugs and alcohol and was in prison himself. I, you know, I struggled with drugs and alcohol and like literally right off the, right off the gate, as soon as that happened, I, I, I just, I just decided I was just going to numb myself, you know, I, I, and not think about it, you know. Um, I dealt with it by trying not to think about him because if I try not to think about him, that I didn't have to deal with all the, you know, the emotions that come with it and the, you know, the heartache. Not only were the brother and sister facing life hardships without their father, they were also dealing with the ridicule of the community and some of their own families. His mother passed away when my son was six months old and he couldn't be there for that. And you go there, I remember at my grandmother's funeral, there's a stigma of there's Ron John's daughter and her, you know, her husband and son and my dad's not there and people, you know, don't believe you. They don't believe they and, and every you know that everybody's whispering in the background and and you you know, you say he didn't do it and people don't wanna listen. Everybody loved my dad. Like all my friends, he was you know, it's, it's just just a, everybody's like, Where's your dad? How's your dad? And then it turned from, you know, everybody you know, my dad, like a father figure to everybody, all my friends, I had a ton of friends, you know, um, going from that to every time somebody asked, 
you know, where's your dad? How's, how's Ron John doing? You know, to me, I, I used to lie and say that he was in jail for murder because it was a better than the alternative. The two thought their father would never make it out of prison. So all these appeals were coming up, and then we were like, definitely going to get out of this one. Definitely. And a year would go by. And then I was talking on the phone, and he was saying, uh, it's going to uh, I don't know, son. It might be another year. They said, we are going for another appeal to pay for what's in, but you know how long. It's the last time they said it. It's going to be, you know, maybe September, and now it's two Septembers from now. And, uh, it just, I don't know. It's a nightmare. I remember thinking that my kids are never going to know that grandpa. They're never going to have a grandpa. He's going to die. He's not young. You know, it's not like this happened when he was 30 years old. Right, he was 56 years old, and all decade, over a decade had gone by, and it's, he's never going to know these beautiful grandkids, and I know that he, he, he would be exactly the grandfather that he is today. Despite their father's absence, Leah Ray still remembers the few things he could do for them while he was locked away. He would send um, birthday presents, and for all the kids, all the time, dream catchers. He, he spent so much time in there thinking about us and our family and doing stuff for the kids. Leah Ray says that this incident changed her. She now sees things from a different perspective. It changes every aspect of your thinking. It puts that. It, it changes it when you see um, a convicted child molester rapist on TV. I remember before going, yeah, good. You know what I mean? They got everything. Now you wonder what really happened. You question so much when this happens to your family. Leah Ray now travels with her father to innocence conventions all over the country, where together they fight to keep this from happening to others. And my dad was actually on the short end of time. 14 years is, you know, a quarter of a lifetime. So, and there were people who did 30, 40, and this is going on everywhere in America. And it has to stop. It has to stop. Now that their family has been reunited, they are slowly trying to put the pieces back together. Do you love him? Yeah. Yeah? What's your favorite thing to do with your grandpa? Be <laughs> oh, there you have it. The wrongfully convicted. I mean, you lose a father, you lose a brother, you lose a sister, you lose a mom, a grandma in some cases, grandfathers. Their voice just goes silent. And their families now become that voice. The effects of wrongful imprisonment are devastating for exonerees and their families, yet few services exist to support the mental health and successful social uh, reintegration of the exonerated. Immediately following their release is when the exonerated most need assistance uh, when meeting their basic needs, employment, housing, transportation, education, physical, and mental health care, and public benefits. Few states, however, provide exonerees with immediate support services to aid their transition. And unlike those who have been paroled, exonerees are not entitled to, nor are they well-suited for re-entry services that target criminal risk factors. In other words, the exonerated get the worst of both worlds, the stigma of prison, with none of the support services available to those who serve time. 
While compensation is available for a select few, uh, that does little to address the horrors of wrongful imprisonment. And again, exonerees. Do you know what that means, folks? They should have never done time. So not only are you punished again in society for being in prison, period. We're not going to give you nothing, though we robbed you of everything through that wrongful conviction. That is uncomprehendable to me. Right now, joining us, Antoine Day, a gentleman who we've become familiar with. He's been on on the last couple of these shows regarding the voices from behind the wall and has brought true insight. Uh, to what is going on uh, in in our prisons and the voices of the voiceless. And Antoine, are you with us? I am. I'm here. Good evening. Hey, thank you so much for joining us again tonight uh, as we continue our discussion, Voices of the Innocent. Uh, and Antoine, I'm going to tell you something that stuck with us pretty hard the other night. Um, when you made the statement, and it hasn't left me since you said it, that they dropped you off in the middle of the road in pouring rain, and you wondered how uh, you were going to get home. And secondly, the other thing that really hit us, it hit me, I'll speak for myself, when you said you didn't have the courage or the strength, if you will, and that may be the wrong word, to take your own life. So you sought a way to provoke someone else to take your life just to get out of that situation. Man, I'll tell you what, that stuff was heart-wrenching. And I'm telling you, it stuck with me ever since you said it. I'm sure our listeners were impacted by it as well. Uh, as we continue this discussion, Antoine, uh, I want to hear more uh, about uh, some of the things that the innocent suffer, uh, the mindset, the mental anguish. You said the other night this is, it was mental torture. Uh, some folks, when they've done wrong, they kind of go in and go with the flow. But what does the innocent do? Who's not been in that Go ahead, Antoine. Well, you know, uh, um, to that point, the innocent really has to really come back and repair themselves. Like you said, when when they really because see, Chicago has the highest number of wrongful incarcerated people in the country. So in Texas and and these places, the, the numbers are starting to build up because now uh, people are coming out and people are recognizing that. The same cop that got these 20 got that 20. So we need to look at all these cases again. And once you look at these cases, you see that he played the same game. So once you come home, before when you were coming home, the services wasn't there. They didn't have services, reentry services for wrongfully accused. We had to create that scenario. That scenario was made and created by ex, uh, uh, formerly incarcerated, wrongfully incarcerated men and women. And to create a system where, you know, you tell me I'm not qualified. I just spent 30 years of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit. And you say I'm not obli- I'm not. I don't have a, a chance for services. You're not obligated to do anything for me other than to put me out. As you mentioned, they gave that gentleman fifty dollars. They did nothing for me. They kept forty-eight dollars and some change that I left that they wouldn't give me, and I still never retrieved it. And they put me out in the, in, in the middle of the night in the rain. So they feel that they're not obligated. You got your freedom, shut up, and get on, is what they basically tell you. And you have to, you know, somehow or another establish yourself to be 
who you really need to be at that moment. There's no time for being weak. You know, so you, you seek out different things. I came home from, from prison and couldn't get a job because of my background. I was hired on to a cleaning, uh, uh, a maintenance uh, worker in this building, this high-rise. They hired me on a Friday because I had all the experience. I knew how to run all the machines. I knew how to clean the floors. I wanted to do something. I wanted to work and earn my keep. But when they hired me, they gave me my pass key. They gave me my uniform. But Monday morning, they fired me because they said my background came up and they couldn't hire me, you know. So I had to suffer that. I really took my job. I stood on a, on a construction site for four days in the rain, in the snow, and the season was changing. And I stood there, and, and one day the, the, one of the foremen came in, and he said, why are you standing here? I said, because I want this job, man. I need a job. He said, I'll tell you what, you be here Monday morning. You show me what you can do. But in those four days, I've learned how to build scaffolds because if I see it, I can do it. And he hired me. They gave me an opportunity to earn money for myself. They gave me an opportunity to take care of my kids and be responsible. They gave me an opportunity not to go back to the street. The state or the city didn't give me anything. And they never tried to come back and say, hey, this is what we did. This is what we're going to do for you. I had to fend for myself. You know, alone, my family helped me. You know, my kids are grown at this point. They they would suggest certain things to try to do. But I felt I felt that small taking money from people because I know I can get my own money. You know, I'm used to that. So the system can destroy you in so many ways. When we talk about men coming home and then committing suicide, because he just came out of a war, now you face with another war, a society that's unforgiving, that don't apologize for anything, you know, and, and, and it's intentional to destroy you because that's what the whole intent was from the very beginning. So these guys come home and murder themselves, and then sometimes they kill other people, then take their lives. So we need to be conscious of what we do to people once they're released from that that, that hellhole, because it's a it's a mental thing now once you come back out. It's a mental thing. And that's one of the reasons why we see crime increase when they talk about recidivism. You can't have recidivism if you haven't repaired some of the, the broken walls that you made. you got to repair those. you got to bring them back together and put these men back together and then allow them to go out, and not just men but women as well, and allow them to go out and be productive in the society. Well, Antoine, here's the issue that is so alarming, uh, and th- this is what is really getting me, and this is why this the series called that we're focusing on, at least at this part of Voices Behind the Wall, is the voice of the innocent. How many times did the innocent cry for help, and to, really not their responsibility to show their innocence? It is up to the state to prove their guilt. And there's no mm-hmm. way to prove it. So how many people cried behind the wall saying, I didn't do this? How many people were hooked with, to lethal injection saying, I yeah. didn't do this? And they went yeah. ignored. This is why the voices of the innocent must be heard now. Because if we don't call attention to the voices of the innocent now, they may be in a body bag by next year. Yeah. This, this, this is the purpose of that, right? 
Yes, and, and definitely let's thank God that George Bush ain't still in office because he killed so many innocent people knowing that they were innocent. False fireman statements and stuff took a man's life because they said he killed his family, but it was proven that he was at work when this occurred. They made it happen because they didn't do no investigation. They seek nobody else but him. And, and the day that he got a stay, they executed him, you know, in Texas. So let's thank God that he, he's not in place. And Texas has really stepped it up as far as helping uh, wrongfully accused men and women. So, but when you, when you speak about that's getting out, you're wrongfully mm-hmm. incarcerated. Who may not even get out? You know, I may wake up in the morning and see you dangling on a string because you just had enough. I, like I said before, I just didn't have a, that, that, that in me to do that, you know, to take my own life. But I was definitely willing to go and allow them to take my life because I was so fed up. Go ahead. And, 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 you, and sometimes you can be broken. I'm mm. sorry. No, you're fine. Go ahead. There's a little bit of a delay on the line, so I didn't know. I, I, I thought you would. I caught you in the middle of that delay. So please go ahead. Oh, you know, and 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 I, I have saw where men go to jail for raping a, a, a young lady or a kid or something, and then found that they they didn't do it, right? But the torture, yeah. the pain that these people suffer, is tremendous. You you couldn't imagine what what was actually going on with you know, and yeah. and that these took place because now you got inmates playing judge and jury. So they're convicted twice, you know, and they're beaten, they're raped, they stabbed, they, they, you know, mistreated in so many ways by so many people because everybody knows your your situation and people look at you, you know. It's true. Yeah. And I think one point we have to look at, there are plenty of, uh, responsibility to go around for how wrongful convictions happen where through through folks and and folks who are in law enforcement not all of them are contributors to silencing the voices behind the wall because of things they've done to get a conviction a wrongful one it's not like oh my goodness we found this out after he was locked up no there are premeditated steps taken yeah. to convict the innocent Therefore, silencing them and their voices going silent before they ever get behind the wall, it becomes that the, the silence is deafening after they get behind the wall. Uh, ex, let, let me read this to you very quickly. Ex-Louisville cop who sent innocent man to prison charged with misconduct says former Louisville detective Mark Handy, who sent at least three innocent men to prison, now can end up there himself. A grand jury in Jefferson County indicted Handy on Wednesday on one count of perjury for giving false testimony against Edwin Chandler and another count of tampering with evidence in a murder case against Keith West. Handy was found to have coerced a confession from Chandler, who spent nine years in prison for the 1993 murder of Brenda Whitfield before he was, before he was, uh, one second, before he was cleared in 2009 with the help of new fingerprint technology the city paid Chandler an $8.5 million settlement after his lawyers showed Handy fed Chandler facts to use in his confection and taped over 
surveillance video that might have pointed to the real killer. Keith West, now 44, spent nearly seven years behind bars for the shooting deaths of two men he said he killed in self-defense when they allegedly tried to kidnap and rape him. In a motion he filed with this month to set aside a guilty plea in that case, West alleged that Handy taped over a witness statement in his case and also failed to report exculpatory evidence found in the car in which West said he was kidnapped. So you're talking about going to the source of the problem. You, you coerced a witness to say he did it. And then you yeah. take over. That is insanity to yeah. me. It's just, it shows you like the links to what some individuals, you know, like you said, it's not all law enforcement, but it's the, the links that some individuals will go to to get a conviction, to help fill a, a bed and line somebody's pocket. But what is the motive here? It, it, to me, are you just too lazy to do an investigation? Yeah. Are you just, I mean, yeah. are you just saying, no, nah, we don't want to be bothered? But these are, these are lies. I don't understand how that is so difficult for people to understand. These are the lives of men and women. You are tearing homes apart because you say, and the t- efforts you took to tape over testimony and evidence, you could have found the killer. And I think Cliff or Dennis, you alluded to the other night, but you just let a real killer sit out there. Mm-hmm. You, you just let him go in and kill again, but you took an oath to serve and protect. I think we left that Antoine a long time ago. It's not that none of those <laughs> things are about law enforcement anymore. And again, I'm not saying every law enforcement, we got some good cops out there. We got some good deputies out there. We got good prosecutors out there. We got good judges out there. Let me be clear on that. But man, do the bad apples hurt the whole bunch. It's killing us as a society. Go ahead, Antoine. Definitely. So that's one of the reasons right today I'm a court advocate for juvenile. You know, I want to be in a courtroom. I want to be in a police station. I want to be wherever they're when they're arrested. At, at BBF Family Services, we really get out to our community because it's about community. It's about wraparound services. And and know some of the things that we are faced with in our community. The ignorance will, I mean, it, it will rape you of everything, you know, and and have you sitting in prison the next 30 years. Uh, there, there are so many cases. Now, one thing I do know in prison, and anybody can testify to this, Information move in prison faster than it does on the street. Sure. I know a lot of cases where young men has been tried and prosecuted for cases they absolutely had nothing to do with. I know guys that was down there, we was trying to fight our cases together in the penitentiary. Now they're just getting exonerated. Now they're just getting out after 28 and 30 years. And you knew the evidence didn't work. You knew that this cop was dirty. And then this cop get a chance to retire with his pension. He get a, he get a chance to say, I just screwed everybody over. Now I'm going to retire and go live a happily ever after life while you mentally destroyed. These are the things we face with. And then we got this Me Too movement. This is a right. Me Too movement. This is all of us. This is about everybody because it, it don't discriminate with women nor men. Mm-hmm. Nor black or white. Green and blue, it don't discriminate. And these people have learned how to take advantage of a group of people to where they don't have no consequences at all. No consequences. 
Right. No, and I think that's a big problem because accountability is key. And to hopefully slowing this stuff down, you got people playing with people's lives like they're in some video game. This is real yeah. life. Uh, Antoine, we're going to yeah. come right back. So we're going to take a quick break. I want to get some more comments on some other things that you saw. I want you to share with us uh, of the innocent, okay. even and some things that maybe some people just don't know about. We're going to continue this discussion. Uh, we're going to talk about a falsely accused uh, couple that spent 21 years in prison. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to get to that story. And Antoine, we're going to get your thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio, it just calls continues the series voices from the wall the voice of the innocent we're coming back and antoine day is going to join us this is agency radio we'll be right back for a kid whose mom or dad is in prison life is tough now add a wrongful conviction to that life just got a little bit tougher trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation. You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions call or just calls today 1-855-529-4252 we seek justice for the children as they go to bed at night and mom's not there dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe not because dad or mom did anything wrong because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced, against some groups, let's, let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13, to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old, with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for possession, what do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need some place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country 
concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options. Many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. I wanted to be in the military since I was since I was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said, I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. Come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. Tonight, Voices from Behind the Wall continues as we talk about the voices of the innocent. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, these stories, and let me take stories off of it, these life events that have happened to the innocent is uncomprehendable. I'll, I'll take you on a quick journey that, say, you're just sitting around in your house, watching TV with your family, somebody comes in and snatches up your loved one, locks them up, and they're gone away for 30 years. Imagine the trauma, the horror of that, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that your loved one is not guilty. We have come to a place in this country where alibis simply don't matter. 
there was a time in this country that if you have an alibi, you can watch any detective movie, any Law and Order, any Y five O. We go that far back. What do they say? Where were you? Can somebody account where you were? At one point, that meant something. Not anymore. As we learn in the story of, of Joyce Brown, uh, Joyce and Brown had an alibi. Five, six people test stated to the police she was here at work with me. She still got locked up. That is, that is insane to me. Uh, joining us, Antoine Day, uh, really uh, a staple, really, of this series, as he has shared with us uh, the horrors. Antoine Day wrongfully convicted. Uh, he joins us again to get in this conversation. Antoine, are you with us? Antoine, you with I us? I hear it. Okay, hear good. It. Uh, Antoine, we're going to play, we call it an exonerate moment. I want you to hear this exonerate moment, and I'm going to get your thoughts on it. Let's play it. Okay. Today's profile features Larry Lamb. On February 28, 1987, Lamont Grady was found dead in his home in Duplin County, North Carolina. He'd been shot once in the chest. For several years, no one was charged with the crime. In August of 1990, after a reward was posted for information leading to an arrest, a woman named Lovely Lorden began meeting with investigators in the Duplin County Sheriff's Department. Lorden claimed that Grady had been murdered by her ex-boyfriend, LaVon Jones. Lorden gave five different statements with conflicting details, but ultimately would testify that in the early hours of February 28, 1987, she rode with Jones and two other men, Larry Lamb and Ernest Matthews, to Grady's house, where they intended to rob him. Lorden said she stayed in the car while the three men went inside. Jones was carrying a pistol. Lorden heard two gunshots. Then the men returned to the car and they drove away. Jones, Lamb, and Matthews were charged with first-degree murder on August 14, 1992. Lamb went on trial first. Lorden was the star witness for the prosecution. There was no physical evidence linking any of the defendants to the crime. There was evidence that another suspect had been alone with Grady on the night of the crime and then lied to police before leaving town, but this evidence was never presented to the jury. Lamb's attorney did not interview any witnesses or conduct any investigation of the case. A jury convicted Lamb on August 19, 1993, and he was sentenced to life in prison. In December 2007, Lovely Lorden recanted her 1993 trial testimony. In an affidavit, Lorden said that much of her testimony was simply not true. She said officers coached her on what to say and threatened her with prosecution if she did not cooperate. She had collected a $4,000 reward from the governor's office for providing clues that led to Jones' arrest. Christine Muma, executive director of the North Carolina Center on Actual Innocence, had been investigating Lamb's case since 2007. In the summer of 2009, following the completion of the investigation, the prosecution and Muma prepared to file a joint motion to vacate Lamb's conviction and obtain a new trial, with an understanding that the state would dismiss the case because Lorden had recanted and no longer was reliable as a prosecution witness. The prosecution withdrew from the agreement to vacate Lamb's conviction. In 2010, Muma filed a petition for a new trial on Lamb's behalf based on Lovely Lorden's recantation. On August 8, 2013, Superior Court Judge W. Douglas Parsons vacated the conviction. This has been 
a profile of the wrongly convicted with AJC Radio. The numbers continue to stack up. My question to America is where's the outcry for the innocent? We pride ourselves as a nation to protect the most vulnerable of society, but the innocent behind a wall is our most vulnerable. Samson, your thoughts on that? That clip right there, I mean, it just, I was sitting there listening, they interviewed no witnesses, looked at no evidence, but they still... Convicted, convicted people. I mean, it, it's 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 staggering to even think about. It. Like, it's it's almost laughable if it didn't really happen, right? You know, it, it's just how how we got to this point in our society where you don't have to have any evidence other than the fact that you want to put somebody behind bars and you get to steal decades of their life. And you get again, and we've talked about it time and time again. You're not only stealing their time; you're stealing, you know, possibly their lives, their families' lives, families. I mean, like you're causing a chain of events that are just completely traumatic, not only to this person but to their family. And you're doing it with with nothing to support it, other than the fact that you want to do it. No, absolutely right, Antoine. Your thoughts when you hear that? Yeah. So, so, so. It's so familiar to my case because in my case, I was 6'2", light-complected with long, curly hair. I'm every bit of 5'10", dark-complected, short hair. Total opposite of what they said this guy looked like. But I was arrested, and then uh, uh, once I was arrested, I was threatened. If I don't lie on somebody else, that they were going to put everything on me. I couldn't see myself having somebody else locked up for something they didn't do, you know. And I, I just don't see it. So I'm, I'm very aware of that situation. And it's, it's, it's appalling, man, when you think about the lives that they destroyed. When they incarcerated me, my daughter was raped. My daughter was raped by her mother's husband, who now sits in the Las Vegas prison. But my daughter was raped. I could have been home to protect her. Yeah. I could have been a father to my son when they were playing football and, and basketball. I could have been at those games like, like you said in the beginning. You're not just destroying that person. You're destroying generation of people because now this mental piece has to go on and on and on until it repairs itself. So these police don't think about what they're doing to the entire family. You know, like like the, 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 the gentleman's mom took her life once he came home because she was under so much pressure. So we really have to think about this, and society has to wake up and quit segregating, you know, people in what's wrong and what's right. What's wrong is wrong. Right is right. It's simple as that. And to oh, accuse I... a man or a woman and send him to jail, and you haven't even, uh, you haven't even interviewed witnesses. You have nobody, you know, and and it's crazy, and it happens all the time. No, absolutely, Antoine, and and. Uh... These, those are. It's just troubling, uh, as we said, the lengths that people will go to uh, to convict a man, a woman, and, and have them locked up. I, I'm trying to wrap my hands around that, and I'm having a difficult time doing it. 
because it, it falls to me, it, it's like a system that is just out of control. We talk a lot on this show about uh, the value of life. Human life simply doesn't matter. The quality of life, uh, the fact that men and women have the right to live a happy life. And nobody understands, as you say, Antoine, the toll that's taken on a family, the tears that are shed, the unhappiness. Many times children growing up with their parents who sit in prison lawfully. I shared with um, a few folks regarding a young man, uh, and he's going to be coming on the show next week to tell his story, at least his family will, uh, was wrongfully convicted. A judge ordered him released from prison 22 years ago for ineffective counsel, prosecutional misconduct, the judge who tried the case issued an order for release of this man. He called me the other day, uh, him and his family, and said, I've been in prison for 22 years waiting to get out on that order. They ignored the judge's order. And you know what? He has, been, he has paperwork. We're looking to send a letter to the, to the bar of that state. Uh, we're getting that information sent to us now as we look into the matter. 22 years ago. The judge ordered his release. That judge has since passed away. So he's in an uphill fight after his case was told. <laughs> this, 22 years? Yeah. I mean, th- these are things you think you're reading about in a movie. This is happening every day in our every country. Every day. And that's what I'll tell you to our listeners out there. A lot of this stuff is because, as a society, we have accepted to say this is just the way it is. And we hide these stories, these life situations, these life horrors from the public because they're under the impression these guys have done something wrong. They need to learn a lesson. They are very naive to a system that has made them to believe it is fair and just. It is exactly the opposite. And it gets worse every single And when human life ceases to matter, we have a problem in this country. This man is away from his family 22 years and he's talking as strong as he, I mean, as anybody I've talked to. I'm to please help us. Please, would you help us? Yeah, Lamont, I mean, it just seems like the more we hear about these cases, it just seems that. The justice system, these prosecutors, these judges, and again, like we say, it's not all of them, but it just seems like there's there's these groups out there uh, scattered around the nation that are just trying to push the envelope and push the envelope and see what they can get away with, you know. And it, as they do so and they get away with it, it just continually devalues human life to the point of where, like, as a society, like you've said and we've said numerous times on the show. You, there comes a point where you have to get sick and tired of it. You have to take action. You have to be a voice for those that are obviously, you know, being muzzled behind the wall. You have to, you know, get out there, whether it's like Dennis says, and you get out there and you vote, whether you go up there and you take a trip to DC, go take your case to to Capitol Hill, whatever it is, whatever it takes, you know, to, to get this out there and get people to realize that we as a society and as a united people are not going to stand by and let our brothers and sisters be mistreated anymore. We're not going to be quiet about it. We're not going to, you know, as you know, go quietly into that dark night. No, we're going to sit here and we're going to 
speak out for those that are behind the wall. We're going to organize whatever we have to do to make those people's voices heard because one person being wrongly convicted and sentenced to death is too many. One is too many. But now we're sitting here, we're talking about hundreds. We're talking about a populace of people that are being sentenced to years and years behind the wall that they definitely don't deserve. And they're lifetimes, Antoine. These are lifetimes. Antoine, how much time did you do in prison? Again, remind us. Fourteen and a half years. Fourteen and a half. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a one day of. Here's the difference. People try to say, well, it was only a year or two. That's that's horrible. Mm-hmm. When you didn't do anything. Exactly. A day in a holding cell is traumatic for those that never walked that road. People's like, well, you know, they've been there a long time. Why don't you spend a week in county jail and come back and tell me? Oh what you're yeah, doing? right. You don't. You don't need. You don't need to spend a week. Go through the process. That's right. Sleep in 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 in, in sleep in, in urine and defecation. Sit in a place where they give you food that where the bread and turn green. Go in a place where you don't get a bath for almost a week. Just go through that. Don't even worry about the process of getting on, on a jail, on the floor of a jail cell yet. Go through the process, the mental anguish that you go through when they just snatch you up and you've never been through this. And you mistreated from point A to point Z. Go through that. People think it only happened to other people. I tell them, you better be prepared because it knocks on everybody's door. How you open that door is what really matters. How you open that door. It happens to women, men, children, everybody. And it's pathetic that we allow these laws to continue to create this blue wall where these police, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't want to sound like I'm badgering police because my son right now has just been accepted to the Chicago Police Department. He went through and he took the test because he saw what happened to his dad. Now he wants to be a cop so he can do justice, so he can be fair to people. You know, because he saw what happened to me. He came to visit me in the penitentiary, saw me in the jail, you know, and know that his dad didn't do what they say he done. You know, he wants to be a cop now. So I'm not speaking against police because I know a lot of great cops. I know a lot of great cops. Mm-hmm. But I know some terrible guys, man. I know some terrible people. Yeah. I, I hear you, Antoine, and I think, I, I mean, look, uh, those are those are profound points. Uh, congratulations to your son for his acceptance uh, to the to the police department there, and, and hopefully he will be a voice uh, that makes a difference. Our thoughts and prayers will be with him. But listen to this, man, man. You're welcome, sir. Uh, this says man killed himself after false rape claim despite text that proved his innocence. Ross Bullock was 38 years old when he killed himself after his accuser. Uh, who cannot be named for legal reasons, made allegations of rape against him. Bullock denied the accusations and had kept text messages between the two as evidence of consensual sexual intercourse. The two meet in February 2015 and had sex at his place of work. They'd also exchanged a series of flirtatious messages to one another. However, a month after meeting up, Bullock was arrested and questioned by police on suspicion of rape after the woman made an accusation to the authorities. He killed himself at the age of 38. Yeah. Again. Yeah, people. <laughs> you had, 
Antoine, you have. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm I'm sorry, but yeah, I know yeah. that happens so many times, man. People are so afraid of a jail, man. Jail is a hell, and people would rather just get it over with. But I I I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm I'm just I'm appalled at that. And then the other the other part to that is the other the other part to that is once you once you once you've been done that way, once you've been done that way, and they find out that you're innocent, the person that that accuses you, nothing happens, nothing goes on. You know, Ray spent thirty years in prison for a rape they know he to commit. When she finally admitted that she lied. There was no recourse. There was nothing going on. That absolutely nothing. So when we when we on this radio and we we telling people what what it is that, that that take place, we're not trying to punish anybody. But we want people to be honest enough to to execute the law. Let the law continue to be executed. Whether you are a judge, whether you're a dirty cop, whether you're a, a lying witness, everybody should should know that you just can't go through life. Locking people up wrongfully, and then nothing's going to happen. No, absolutely right. And I, I agree with you, Antoine. There are no consequences. That's major. There is no recourse for lying to officers or giving false statements. In these cases, the innocent. This, this was the prime example of the voice of the innocent that had proof of that innocent. His voice was silenced. The police never heard it. Never regarded it. He showed it to him. Now you're telling me it doesn't matter. My life doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. He takes his life at the age of 38. This this God. is this this is real stuff here, folks. This is real life and death. What about the mother of that young man? His siblings. And that's what people don't understand. You have to look at it. There goes you, there goes me. Uh, like uh, Antoine was saying, one day it's going to knock on your door. Why wait till it knock on your door? I mean, start doing something about it now because uh, I agree with him 100%. It's going to happen. Uh, somewhere in your family, somebody's going to get, you know, mm-hmm. get, get pulled over or accused of something that they didn't do. And because we kept silent, because we wouldn't say nothing, uh, because uh, yeah. hey, not my it's not it's not my family. Hey, I hope uh, everything goes well for them. But I agree with you, Antoine. We got to get out there and we got to speak up, and we got to start making our voices heard. And we got to say, hey, enough is enough. Too many in it, one person being in prison uh, wrongfully is 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 more is, is greater than anything. So when we're talking about hundreds and thousands and that's just that's just out of hand. But we have to come together and say enough is enough. And then we got to push for laws to be put in place so that there are consequences uh, for for wrongdoing, uh, whether it's prosecutorial or or a police officer or a witness. I mean, hey, you 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 gave false testimony, you purged yourself, you're going to prison. And until we do that, we're going to continue to deal with what we're dealing with right now. And they do not, uh, they don't live by that code. You're, gonna, you're the friend of the prosecution. Well, have a nice day. Mm-hmm. Can I buy you lunch? Because you just helped us <laughs> like I mean, you're not going to come after them and bring charges. But that's the problem, Antoine, in this system. If I don't feel yep. a sense of consequence, 
as you said earlier, Antoine, if there are no consequences for what I do, what message do we send our society to our children? I, I'm going to say it just straight out, straight out. There should be no immunity for prosecutors no. to break the law. That's true. I don't get immunity. If I go and hurt somebody, I'm going to jail. But a prosecutor can step in a courtroom and trample the innocent under their feet without consequence. How does that jive? How does that work? That shouldn't work. Well, like you said, Lamont, I mean, we're we're working with a broken system. I mean, if the law doesn't apply to everybody, then why, why does it apply to anybody? I mean, that, that's where we're really looking at it, right? I mean, the law is supposed to be absolute, right? I mean, that, 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 when I was going through school, that's the way we were at least taught it was supposed to be. Right. But now when you get out into the you know, real world for application, that's definitely not the way it is. Because, yes, people, people get away with falsely accusing others of all types of crimes. Like you said, they, prosecutors and judges get to just blatantly ignore evidence. I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the show where we talk about the IRP fives case. So I, this, a judge blatantly just disregards, like, I don't want to see evidence. What do you mean? That's your entire job. The oath that is taken. It's no good anymore. No, it's, it's words the on oath, paper. The oath? Words on paper. In the interest of justice. We hear these cliches. It's a joke. Let's just call it what it is. How do we get around it? How do we fix a system that people are culturally in cultural uh, quicksand? You hit them in their pockets. I'm telling you, you, you have to. Uh, I mean, right now, there's, there's maybe 21 states that compensate, which is out of control. It should be mandated uh, compensation. And, and I mean, you need to hit them hard everybody i don't care who you are when it comes to a dollar oh believe me and it's taxpayers dollars after a while somebody's gonna get fed up with paying a bill because of your incompetence or because of your neglect or because of your uh, prejudices uh eventually i mean we have to change laws of course we got to change laws. but again i think uh, changing the law along with compensation and then accountability, meaning that if you put someone in prison under false pretense or you use uh, devices that are against the law, you're going to jail, too. And here's the problem. The good old boys network of our criminal justice system? Alive and well. It's alive and well, buddy. Yes, sir. So, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Antoine. No, I mean, I, I'm just agreeing because... Hey, I, and I keep saying it, I, and I don't want to make Chicago the worst place in the world, but for police corruption, Chicago and New York is number one. That blue wall, that police corruption, we have just retired police. They just released 18 young men from this one cop who wronged all these young men, but it wasn't nothing new. They already knew he was doing it. They just did nothing about it. And it's a shame that this continues to go on every day, every day, every day. And they don't do anything about it because what they want to show you is that they, is, it's a war on crime. 
and and it's not that Washington is 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 innocent or anything, because Washington right. set it up. If you want to get this federal money, you got to do more incarceration. You got to lock up more people. We got to take it out the hands of the judges, and we got to just you know mandatory sentences, all this kind of garbage. It was a political ploy, war on right. drugs. You know, and and at the same time, you say you just lock them up. We don't even care. We're gonna give you the free will to do what you want to do. And by the time they get out of jail, we all been retired. You know, mm-hmm. this is what we're faced with today. You know, and 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 they keep cutting off the head and wondering why our communities are in such bad shape because the body has to raise itself. It can't raise itself if it don't have a lesson, something to learn from. And that's why our community is in, in terrible shape right now. And I see it every day here in Chicago. Oh, I agree, Antoine, without question. Yeah, I was just going to say, Antoine, that that's the reason that, uh, you know, it's so important with the things that you're doing, mentoring these young people, teaching them what their rights under the law and how to deal with uh, law enforcement. And then, these communities, we got to get out and vote because, like you say, you know, it, it's coming down from Washington saying, "Hey, we're gonna we'll, we'll fund you, give you." I mean, they they send battle tanks to to Chicago on federal mm-hmm. money and saying, "Hey, you you wanna you want you wanna do a war on drugs? You want a war on violence? We'll provide you military gear as long mm-hmm. as you lock more people up." So that's why the communities have to get involved. Say, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna educate each other." And we're going we gonna to push everybody to vote that, that's of voting age because that's the only way it's going to get changed. I mean, the laws are in place now. Now we have to, uh, like Dennis was saying, hit them in their pockets. So you hit the local mm-hmm. legislators, hit the local politicians saying, hey, if you keep up this foolishness, let, let Washington send another tank in here, and you're going to have a citywide uh, civil unrest on your hands because we're not going to accept it. We're going to uh, take – you know, the law and apply it, you know, for ourselves and let you know that we are not just going to sit back and let you destroy our community, let you take our young men and strip our fathers from us uh, to basically, like you said, pull pull the heads of the community, incarcerate them, and then expect these youngsters to, to raise themselves in a proper manner. The community's got to get involved we got to vote to take these judges and prosecutors, these DAs out of the picture, and get some people in there who have the community at heart. And that's as far as law enforcement goes as well. Well, and that's absolutely true. The big problem I have, we're talking about innocent people. It's wrong enough to just round up people and put them in jail for many, you know, uh, misdemeanor crimes or stuff that nobody's taking a lot. You're just rounding everybody up that you can. Mm-hmm. The tragedy that we deal with tonight, the innocent. Understand a man or a woman that goes to work every day, pays their bills every month, has enjoys their Thanksgivings, their Christmases, their, what life is about. The innocent. You're taking the innocent for no reason. That is, that's the heaviness of this topic, the innocent. I'm just going to work. I'm paying my taxes. I'm, I'm at home at night. I'm not anywhere placed anywhere where a crime is committed. 
But the innocent? You yeah. just pick them. You got a grandmother who cops go through their window, this lady's window, and shoots her grandmother to death because she has a Pepsi can on her nightstand that they mistake for a weapon. You kill her dead. The, the, the voice behind the wall not only is killing those behind the wall, you are killing the innocent in their homes as a result of not caring about guilt or innocent, rushing to judgment. These are voices of the innocent that cry from the grave, that are crying from the grave. And we sit back as a society and point a finger at other countries? I don't get that. I don't get that. Yeah, it's I mean Lamont, it's it's crazy how how far we've we've fallen as a society. And we I mean a lot of people don't even recognize. Like you said, they turn uh a blind eye to it because it, it hasn't come down their street, it ain't knocking on their front door yet. But believe you me, sooner or later it's gonna happen. Now this next bit I'm gonna say, hey, this these are just this isn't something I'm encouraging. This is just a little bit of research I, I did here, just a quick Google search. But under under Title 28 of the U.S. Code, the oath of the justices and judges, it talks about how they will administer justice without respect to persons and do equal rights to the poor, the rich, and they will faithfully and impartially discharge and perform their duties incumbent upon them under the Constitution and laws of the United States. So help them God. That's what the original oath that they're supposed to take whenever they step in. They're, they're not supposed to you know, take into account how much money you have, what your connections are. But now we all know just by going through this, the shows that we've had, that that's not the case. But let's look at the long road that if this stays up, let's look at the long road that this nation is on right now. Our Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, also clearly states, and again, I'm not saying that we should go out and do this. I'm saying this is the long road that I see this country on. But it says when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably in the same object – Evidences a design to reduce them under absolute disposition. Basically, when the same injustices keep happening and happening and happening, it is their, their right, talking about the people, it is their duty to throw off such a government. I'm not saying this is where we're at now, but I'm telling you, if these injustices keep happening, if stuff like this keeps going on, the people of this country are going to get tired of being beat down by a, a government, by an injustice system that that is just they're terrorizing them they're this 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 is domestic homegrown terror right here you when you have to fear for your life and the life of your family because somebody wants to say something and they want to just throw their cloud around and and accuse you of something that the police like you said they can go in raid your house and you can they can go in and kill your grandma we got we got apps out there that are specifically designed for contact with police officers, I'm telling you, we fall when when we, when they when when we're trying to make sure that you have something in your possession that you can use to ensure that you're not wrongfully convicted. We, we we've got problems. No, we absolutely do, and we're trying to get Antoine back. I think there was a technical issue there. We lost him. We're trying to get him back. Right now, we're going to go to a clip. You know about the Central Park Five? Um, innocent men. And by the time everything was done, 
They wanted to put them on the on, uh, in the uh, injection chamber, and they were innocent. Let's hear the story. The Central Park Five. New York's mayor at the time, New York City's mayor, called it the crime of the century, the brutal rape and beating of a woman who was jogging in Central Park back in 1989. The victim was a 28-year-old investment banker, and her courageous battle for survival made front-page news around the world. Also making headlines, the suspects in the case, five black and Latino teenagers who were eventually convicted, even though none of them did it. Police got them to confess after turning them against each other during hours of interrogation. The case is recounted in a new documentary by filmmaker Ken Burns called The Central Park Five. Take a look. Hardigan sat down and he said, look, Ray, I know you didn't do anything wrong, but the other guys right now, they're in other precincts and they're saying that you did it. And they're telling me, well, you're not saying nothing, but these guys put your name in it. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. And he's like, well, this is why I'm here to help you, because I know you didn't do anything. You're a good kid. You know, this isn't you. He pulled out this picture, Kevin Richardson. And he goes, you know this kid? And I'm like, no, I don't know him. And he goes, you see the scratch under his eye? That came from the woman. We know he did. He's going down. At this point, I'm like, you know, I don't know these guys that that there, so... I'm just gonna make up something and, and include these guys' names. Okay. If if you know if you're gonna do it to me, then I'm gonna do it to you. A serial rapist confessed to the crime 13 years after the attack. His DNA matched, and the five teens' convictions they were vacated. Joining us from New York, Sarah Byrne. She is co-director of the movie and author of the book that inspired it. And Sarah also happens to be the daughter of Ken Burns. Uh, Sarah, so good to see you, and so glad that you brought this. A story again to light. I remember it very well. Uh, this was something that a lot of people uh, were just captivated by. It was a very painful time, a, a chapter in, in our lives, I think, especially when it came to race relations. Explain to our viewers how it was that you had these guys who confessed. Uh, there was no physical evidence. Uh, they confessed. Uh, they were not guilty. And yet a lot of people in the community uh, were quick to simply accept that they were guilty. Right, I mean, the only evidence that was presented against them were these statements that they'd given, and they, they ultimately gave these videotape statements, which pr- proved to be very convincing. Um, but the problem was, as you said, there was no evidence. Uh, the DNA tests were negative. And I think that the fact that people were so quick to believe that they had done it, the story the police had concocted and, and provided to the press, had a lot to do with the time. As you said, the the city was very different in those days, and people were afraid. The crime rates were higher, and uh, it, it seemed like a scary place. And I think that people were particularly afraid of minority teenage boys in particular. And so these kids who were 14, 15, and 16 somehow seemed like exactly the thing that people feared, and it made sense to them, even though there was no evidence. Well, there you have it. Unbelievable. You're afraid of teenage minorities. Why? Why? Society views the role of a prosecutor as being a seeker of truth 
not a gatekeeper of false convictions. Most of the time, our cries are not taken seriously or even heard until a crooked cop or prosecutor comes under fire. Society is not privy to our struggles until they're all over and we are freed. In each of the past three years, record-breaking numbers of exonerations have taken place. The scary thing is that in a third of these exonerations, excuse me, prosecutorial misconduct was behind the exonerees' wrongful convictions. Our innocent claims are met with extreme resistance by our prosecutors, even when our claims have merit. And let's not leave out this withholding of evidence of our innocence by our prosecutors. That's right. They knew we were innocent, but they have continued to fight to maintain our convictions. These actions are a disgrace to honorable prosecutors who come to work every day to seek justice. That comes from Lorenzo Johnson. He's a contributor in prison for 22 years for a crime he didn't commit. He was freed July 11th, 2017. He hit it on the nail. Absolutely. To know that the innocent are innocent. And rather than go back and correct and do the work, boom, locked up. The Central Park Five, they were tried, convicted, and was told they need to die. And here's what doesn't make any sense to me. The DNA at the crime scene didn't match any of the Central Park Five. That's true. They they said that the only way they got the... uh... The conviction, they, they got them to turn on each other. You know, they sit there and just, you know, turned them on one another, got them, got them probably separated in these different rooms, put them under some type of, you know, torture or interrogation technique, and just got them to say, oh, yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, he did it. And it's ridiculous. And now, I mean, yeah, now these guys are going back after the state and after the, and after the city, but you're, I mean, like we said before, you're taking these kids' lives away. But here's the problem, and I think we got Antoine back. I want to bring him back in on this discussion. Antoine, we lost you for a moment. You everything all right? Yeah, I'm 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 back. <laughs> okay. I'm never going for long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Antoine. We were talking about the the clip we played. I don't know if you heard it uh, or not. Probably because I, I think we. I heard. Okay, it. about the Central Park Five. These guys were mm-hmm. guilty. The the reporter said uh, people were afraid. Again, we're talking about the voices of the innocent. They made it clear we did not do this. It was ignored. Ignored. We don't care what you say. You look like five troublemakers, so let's go ahead and just pin this on you. Trayvon Martin lost his life. He was innocent. He did nothing but buy some skittles and some iced tea. Mm -hmm. And he lost his life. Not alcohol. Not not alcohol. Ice tea. He lost, he lost his life because somebody ignored the voice of the innocent. He didn't do nothing. Mr. Zimmerman, like I say, Mr. Lightly, uh, was told, "Do not follow this young man. Leave him alone. He's not doing anything." We, how many voices of the innocent cry from the grave tonight? We will, we will be Million. their voice. We're going to be the voice of the innocent. Not only from behind the wall, those who have suffered as a result of a criminal justice system that has failed. 
AFL. And it's something that just blows my mind. And, and, and Lorenzo Johnson, what I just read, made it clear. He says our innocent claims are met with extreme resistance by our prosecutors. Not all of them. Ah, uh, yeah, you did it. Wrap up the case. I'll get a promotion next year for how many convictions I well, convictions I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not about not about justice. Mm-mm. Not in the interest of justice. Unbelievable, Antoine. Your thoughts on the on the Central Park? Hey, I, you know I, I've been fortunate enough to meet those gentlemen, whom I think are very some very 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 wise young men, and they they had an experience that uh, for some reason they had to learn. But now that they have learned it, they have come out and they've been they're brand new people. They mm-hmm. they they're, they're soldiers in this war against injustice. No justice, no peace is what they always screaming, and that's that should be something we 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 echo, you know, every day because what they did to them, they continue to do it to young people. This man shot this this young man sixteen times. He he was the judge and the jury who convicted him without even seeing what was going on with him. The other cops decided, well, we're gonna wait till a taser comes so we can take him down and then get him some help because they know he was on drugs. They already know he was messed up. Yeah. This one cop who knew that he could take this into his own hand, he judged and convicted him and shot him 16 times. Not 16 standing up. He shot him eight times while he was standing and continued to empty his gun until his gun was empty while the young man laid on the ground. So when did, and when does a person become a threat? And you have no evidence of what they he or she may have done, but you convict them. You you mm. carry it out. You carry out the death sentence, and then you ask for justice. You come to these same courts which you should allow him, and you ask for justice. My pain in these streets are every day. That young man was a part of our, our program at BBS Family Service. He used to come in. Yeah, we dealing with a lot of things in our community. But my thing to cops are, when do you become the judge and the jury? You're supposed to serve and protect. You became the, the executioner in this community. That's why we have so many wrong, uh, wrongful incarcerated. Now we had dealing with wrong murders, wrongful murders. That's justifiable homicide when you're a cop. Mm-hmm. Ah. I'm an advocate for what's right, man. I tell these little guys all the time, when you right, I fight. When you wrong, you're on your own. You got to do what you got to do, you know, but I'm going to help you through it. But I'm not going to be talking about you innocent and you've done something wrong. And it's vice versa. I'm not going to say you, you're guilty if you haven't done anything. So these are the things we're faced with in this city. Those young men in New York were just the echo that goes on around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it happens to us every day, man, and little do we know. I work in the juvenile detention center with these kids as well. You know, they are ripped away from their families, man. They destroyed mentally, and they push back out here in these streets. And then you expect to get some productivity out of these people that you just took everything from. We have got to come up with something better than this. And our system is broke. The president said you should have killed all of them boys. The, the the orange president right now who sits in the White House said that you ought to kill those men. He was saying kill them. 
when they when they were arrested. They all should have been killed. And they did nothing. If we live in that society today and then to elect a person who feels like you don't what justice is is what I say. Justice is, is not one person. And we need to stop allowing one person to be the judge and the jury out here in this society. Antoine, uh, words well spoken, my friend. Um, listen, I'd like an opportunity to talk to the Central Park Five, maybe on this series. Maybe you can, we can work together and make mm-hmm. that happen. Uh, let's get them okay. on the show. And uh, I'm going to talk to you offline on that. Antoine, your voice, I, I, look, uh, speaks volumes to me and to our listeners, I believe, everywhere. And I'll tell you what, uh, everything you say that you've said on this program has been new every time you've appeared on this show. And we appreciate you taking time uh, to, to work with us as oh, we get you this oh, platform uh, to get this message out. We're going to work together. Go ahead, Antoine. Did you have something? I, I, I mean, you know, and I got to applaud you. I can't let you say all that and without me applauding you because what you guys are doing, everybody should be coming out their pocket, swiping their cards to give you some sponsorship because these stories hadn't been told. You on the air. Everybody's listening now. We're opening eyes. We get ears. You know, we, 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 people are hearing this, and that's because of you guys. I'm here. Whenever you need me, whenever you need to use me, I'm here because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a warrior in this fight. I want to be a battleship. I want to be a tank. I want to be here for you guys whenever you need me, man. I'll be here. We appreciate it, Antoine. We're going to work together. Let's work for next Tuesday to try to get the Central Park Five here, uh, and we, okay. you're always welcome to get into that discussion. We'd like to have a conversation uh, with those men who suffered that injustice. They, are, they truly are voices of the innocent. We'll continue that next week. Have a good night, uh, Antoine. We'll talk to you soon. Thank and, you. Uh, thanks for your perspective. Peace. We appreciate it. Peace and love to all of you. Peace. Thank you. There you have it, folks. Voices from behind the wall. Antoine Day keeping it what they call 100 uh, and keeping it clear. Uh, that is something that needs to happen. Uh, we appreciate his perspective on this show. The Voices from Behind the Wall series continues next Tuesday. You don't want to miss it. This is Agency Radio. Until next time, good night, America. In Detroit, an emotional reunion for a young man who was released from prison after serving nine years for murders he did not commit. Devontae Sanford walked out a free man and went home to his mother and his family. He was convicted when he was just 15 years old, even though authorities say the real murderer confessed long ago. ABC's Alex Perez is in Detroit. The embrace Devontae Sanford thought he might never get. Hugging his mom as a free man for the first time in nearly nine years. What was the hardest part when you're behind bars and you're so young? Knowing I'm in there for something I didn't do. 23-year-old Sanford walked out of this Detroit area prison Wednesday, charged when he was just 14 of murdering four people. Sanford, who is blind in one eye, was picked up by police near the scene of the crime. His attorney saying he was coerced at the time into falsely confessing after two days of interrogation. Devante talks about the police officers who befriended him and then coerced him into a confession. A convicted hitman who's already in jail admitted to the murders just weeks after Sanford's conviction. A prosecutor tonight defending the handling of the case. I can't be a Monday morning quarterback. We had a reason, a good 
reason to charge. Samford saying he's not bitter. I, I was angry when I when I was in, but I'm, I'm home now. So, so I'm not I'm not angry anymore. And David Devante's first meal as a free man, Chinese food. He says he's now looking forward to getting his driver's license. David.